Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Welcome to Thriving in a Post-COVID World. Today is a day of sessions to equip us in our businesses and careers. So thank you so much for joining us this bright, sunshiny Saturday morning. Um, we will have a question and answer section after each session. So if you have any questions, please put them in the chat box and I will pick them up to ask during the question and answer session. This is hopefully going to be a really impactful um, day and it will give you information that you need. So please do look forward to getting a lot of information that will take you to the next level in your business and your career. Our first session is on biblical finances and will be taken by Tony Oshoba. So I will just introduce her before I hand over to her. Toy is a chartered accountant and a fellow member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. She has over 25 years experience in the financial services industry in the UK and currently works for a top investment bank in London. She's passionate about teaching God's financial principles and raising the next generation of kingdom treasurers within God's army of believers. Her journey to financial freedom and entering God's financial rest is compelling and inspiring, and she brings insightful financial principles to life with her honest, open, and practical teaching. Toye, over to you. Thank you very much, Tinoke. Good morning, everybody. I have two portions of scripture to read first before we go into the word. Romans 2 verse 11, Romans 2 verse 11, it says, for there is no partiality with God. Another version says, for God does not show favoritism. And then Acts 10 verse 34, Acts 10 verse 34, it says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Another version says, God does not show favoritism or partiality. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for life. We thank you for health and strength. Thank you for vitality of body, of soul, of spirit, and of mind. Thank you, Father, Lord, for the miracle of sleeping and waking up. We're grateful, oh God, to be alive this morning. Your grace has sustained us. We laid down, we slept, we woke up, oh God, because you sustained us. Father, we thank you. Lord, your word says the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we go into your word, we ask that you will illuminate our minds, illuminate our, our hearts, Father, our minds are simple. That means we don't understand the full picture, the length, the breadth, the depth of your word. Father, we're asking, oh God, as we enter your word this morning, Lord, that where there is confusion, you will bring clarity, oh God. In the area of biblical finances, Lord, where there is doubt, Lord, you bring faith from your word. Lord, where there is pain, financial pain, we're asking, oh God, you will replace it with your joy. 
Father, we thank you and we give you praise and glory. Let your Holy Spirit, oh God, really teach us your word this morning. Help me not to speak words that entice man's uh, wisdom, oh God, but rather, Lord, your word directly from your throne room, oh God, that you have for your children this morning. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So those two scriptures I read says, God is no respect of persons. He shows no partiality. He shows no favoritism. So I have a question to ask. If that is the case, why then do we see cases in scripture where God shows favoritism? Why then do we see cases in scripture where there are seemingly partiality towards individuals? We know, for example, David. We know of King David. Many of us, we read uh, uh, his, his story in the Bible. We understand the things he did. And there appears to be some form of partiality going on with David. I, we, we're not looking at David this morning, but he's one of those areas where when you read um, his story and his life, you see that uh, there is a lot of partiality going on. So as I pondered over this topic uh, during the pandemic, and I'm still researching and studying, I come across a lot of people in scripture who have seemingly had this partiality towards them shown by God. But because we can't accuse God of partiality, as the scripture we just read, I uh, love the way one of uh, uh, the preachers I, I listened to online puts it. Again, she, was, she had made the similar observation that yes, God is not partial, but there are cases of partiality in scripture. And she puts it this way. She calls it, the impartial partiality of God. I say that again, the impartial partiality of God because we can't accuse God of being partial. So that's the title of my short exhortation this morning on biblical finances, the impartial partiality of God. And what I would like to do is look at two cases in scripture that I have been studying and I'm still studying, uh, where there is this seeming, in, this seeming partiality from God towards these people in the area of finances. And I want to see, perhaps we can glean one or two things from these people and we can sort of try and understand or we can you know, if you like, um, learn certain things from their lives, what they did to attract this kind of partial treatment from God. And those two uh, are Jacob. <clears throat> we know uh, Jacob very well, Abraham's grandson and Isaac's son. And the Shunammite woman, perhaps a little bit more remote for some of you. Some of you may have uh, read about her in Second Kings. Um, but um, we're going to look at those two cases this morning. And I'm going to pick out some points um, from their lives, the things they did, uh, and try and juxtapose the two together, uh, the two cases. And let's see if we can learn certain things 
um, and come to some kind of understanding of how they were able to attract partial or preferential treatment from God. So the first one, Jacob, let's look at uh, Jacob uh, quickly. Taking from Genesis, it's a whole text of scripture. I'm not going to be able to read that. I'll give you the scripture. If you have not read Jacob's story, this portion of his life, I encourage you today to look at this uh, in your spare time. Uh, but I will pick certain verses uh, throughout, uh, throughout um, uh, this morning's session. Genesis 28, uh, Genesis 28, all the way to Genesis 31. Genesis 28, all the way to Genesis 31. So we have Jacob. He runs away from uh, his brother. We know what happened. He stole the birthright. So he ran away from Esau because he got wind, his mother uh, got wind that um, his brother wanted to kill him because he had stolen Esau's birthright. Um, and Esau was waiting for their father to die and he was then going to kill Jacob. So their mom, Rachel said, why should I uh, lose you and lose your brother in the same day? Uh, pack your things and go to my brother uh, uh, sorry, their, their mother, Rebecca. Rebecca is uh, their mother. Why she, uh, uh, <clears throat> so she, he, she said to him, pack your things and go to my brother Liban um, in Haran. And that's what Jacob did. So he runs. Uh, if you look from Genesis 28, if I read very quickly, uh, from, from verse 10, it talks about he got to a place, he was tired, he slept. You may be familiar with that uh, scripture. He slept, and during the, the, the time he was sleeping, angels were ascending and descending. Um, uh, there was a ladder, and angels were ascending and descending. And then Jacob uh, wakes up. So looking at verse 16 from uh, chapter 28, book of Genesis, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of he heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. On top of it, he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So that's the first portion um, of, of, of this passage uh, that we're looking at. So we know, I'll just finish the whole story and then we'll go quickly to the Shunammite woman and then we'll compare the two. So we know what then happens to Jacob. Jacob um, then got to Levan's house. We know the story. 
He met an extremely duplicitous and treacherous man, Laban, uh, his uncle. Uh, he was cheated. He essentially uh, ended up working for Laban for 14 years, seven years for Leah, and then seven years for Rachel. He got married to them and started his family. And then Jacob tries to leave Laban. He tries to leave Laban. Um, and he's trying to leave uh, after several years. Um, and uh, if, if you look uh, from uh, verse 30, um, Laban had cheated Jacob so much, he tries to leave. And then he, uh, he, he, he goes to Laban uh, asking that he wants to leave. And Laban essentially says to him, don't leave because I know God is with you. Name your wages, name your wages, name your wages. Um, very important scripture if you are uh, looking to get um, trusting God for uh, a, a new job or you are looking for promotion at work. Here we have a very difficult man saying to Jacob to name his wages and Jacob names his wages. And he says, in the flock, he's a shepherd taking care of Laban's flock. He said, all the speckled, spotted, and streaked flock will be mine. The uniformly colored black, white, brown will be Laban's. Now, to show you how terrible Laban was, on that day, Laban accepted uh, this 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 uh, contract, this agreement. But God was with, was with Jacob because God had given Jacob this wealth-creating strategy, his own bespoke, unique wealth-creating strategy that he had given Jacob. And Jacob said, um, I will take everything that is spotted, speckled, will be mine. Everything that is uniformly colored will be Laban's. So Laban takes, on that day they made the contract, he removes all the flock that are spotted, speckled, and shrieked. He removes everything from the flock. What does that mean? He took Jacob to ground zero. So Jacob starting this business with zero funds because the blessing was going to fall that belonged to Jacob was going to be the spotted speckled flock. And Laban removed that. So for those of you who are looking to business and you're saying, how will I start a business with zero funds? You have a clear example here in scripture of Jacob starting this incredible business, this idea God had given him, um, uh, this wealth creating strategy God had given him with zero funds at all. To make it worse, Laban put a three days journey between him and, and, um, and Jacob. That means he had no access whatsoever to the funds. Because what was the funding in those days? Flock were uh, symbols of wealth and they were essentially the means by which funds were obtained uh, in, in Bible times. So here you are, Jacob starting a, a business, an idea God had given him with zero funds, no access, and no access to fund at all. 
The strategy is extremely successful. You can read the details of the strategy in uh, chapter 30 and Jacob explodes in wealth because that scripture ends in verse 43 of, of uh, chapter 30 says, in this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maid servants and men servants and camel and donkey. Extremely prosperous. So that is the nutshell of Jacob's story. And as I searched the scripture, and I'm asking, why did God show Jacob this kind of favoritism? Why did God show Jacob this, give Jacob his own wealth strategy? What, what was it about Jacob? And I found the answer in chapter 31 of, this, of, of the book of Genesis. Looking at, starting from verse 12, I can't read the whole text. But this is Jacob now deciding to leave. God had blessed him. He decided to leave. And this time he goes to Leah and Rachel. He whines and says, your father has mistreated me, etc., etc. Uh, I'm leaving. And then he makes this statement. He's talking about how God gave him this wealth creating strategy to bless him. And look at verse 12. It says, and he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Where is Bethel? Bethel is the place of covenant he made with God. Where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. So here you have God saying to Jacob, the reason I blessed you was because you made a vow to me. Because I'm, I'm asking myself, what was unique about Jacob to make God bless him with such an amazing wealth creating strategy? He becomes exceedingly wealthy, even more wealth, well, even wealthier than, than Laban, his boss. From this strategy, and God explains why. Because Jacob made a vow. He made a vow to bless God with a tenth of all that God has given him. And many, many Bible scholars, as I researched Jacob's life, many Bible scholars say that that covenant, that financial covenant, that commitment Jacob made to God was a lifetime commitment. When you look at it in the Hebrew, in the Greek version, and you study that scripture, you see that apparently the words used had continuity, lifetime continuity uh, connotations in that scripture. So Jacob made a financial covenant to God. God blessed him and God made it very clear to him that I remembered you, I blessed you with this wealth creating strategy, which made you extremely wealthy because of this vow, this covenant you made to me. Okay, let's move on very quickly to the Shunammite woman. So we're gonna hold, put a pause on Jacob. We're going to uh, look at the Shunammite woman and then we're going to draw some conclusions from the two. Shunammite woman taking from 2 Kings 8, 2 Kings 8, 
Now, this is the story. Again, I won't have time to um, read um, the, all the scripture, but this is the woman that, if you remember this woman, she was the one that Elijah blessed with a son. So Elijah blessed her with a son. Her son died, and sorry, Elisha, prophet Elisha, blessed her with a son. Her son died, and prophet Elisha brought her son. God used him to bring her son back to life. But what is unique about this woman, I love this woman's story. If I read from 2 Kings 4, I'm just going to read two or three verses from 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4 verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God, Let's make a small room on the roof and put, it in, put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him that he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So we see the Shunammite woman committing financially to um, this man of God to be a blessing to the man of God. She was supporting the work of the kingdom because what was Elisha doing in Shunem? Elisha was doing God's work. So Elisha went to Shunem often uh, to do the work of God as God led him. And here you have this woman supporting the work of the kingdom of God financially. And again, Bible scholars say that, um, I was reading in dates last night, that this room that had been built, though the, the scripture doesn't actually do well, if you look at what was actually uh, built, this room, uh, normally, it's like an extension. Um, uh, you, you know how you could build a, like a conservatory extension to your house, or you could extend a part of your house. And it would have actually been in those times, uh, many houses, wealthy houses, had those sort of extensions, and it would have actually cost quite a lot um, to build this. So you have the Shunammite woman investing in the work of the kingdom, to make the man of God comfortable so he could do the work of God. And look at what happens to her. Second Kings 8, extremely wealthy, wealthy, Bible says she was a great woman. They use the word great. I understand the Hebrew word for that word great was only used eight times in the whole of scripture. So this was an extremely wealthy woman. Look at what happens to her in 2 Kings 8. 2 Kings 8, it says, Now Elijah had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. So she was in financial lockdown as well. A very great and wealthy woman in financial lockdown, similar to Jacob. It says the woman proceeded to do as the man of God has said, she and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to the king to beg for her house and land. She lost everything. Wealthy woman, great woman, lost everything. Talk about major financial lockdown. It says the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of, the, of God, and had said, tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead 
to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came in to beg the king for her house and land. This for me is the most poignant depiction of divine orchestration and timing. I ask myself, why is it that at the very time Gehazi was talking to the king about the works Elisha had done, which would have included mentioning the Shunammite woman, the Shunammite walks in into the king's court at that point in time. If there were five cases in scripture where we wanted to say this is divine timing, divine orchestration in the making, this would hit one of the top five in the whole of scripture. Very powerful scripture. For those of you who are looking to God in this season, new jobs, new businesses, restoration to get back what you have lost during the pandemic, this is a scripture you can anchor on. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my Lord, the king, and this is her son whom Elisha has restored to life. The king asked the woman about it and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land and from the day she left the country until now. So you see preferential treatment, favoritism, partiality towards the Shunammite woman. Why? Because I know there would have been hundreds of women in Shunem at that time. But scripture only recalls this woman was the only one who had everything restored back to her, plus interest, because the king ordered including the income that she would have earned in the seven years that she was away and she had lost the land. The king ordered that to be restored back to her. So two classic cases of favoritism, partiality, preferential treatment in the midst of a lockdown. And you see here, these two cases. And I just, uh, to round up, I'm gonna pick up a couple of uh, points to make on these two cases. So the first one we see, we read it, they were both in financial lockdown, uh, as we all are, as we all are experiencing. Most of us are experiencing some kind of challenge or the other financially. The second thing I noticed about these two cases, they both made financial commitments to God. They made a vow, jo Jacob made a vow, the Shunammite made a commitment to support the work of God by supporting uh, Elisha and in return, God rewarded her and gave her this preferential treatment. Number three, they both received preferential treatment from God. There were many shepherds in Haran at the time of Jacob, many shepherds in Haran, hundreds of shepherds in Haran. That was the staple job most most uh, people did in those days. And here you have God single-handedly selecting Jacob and showing him preferential treatment. Similarly, as I said earlier, many women, many women and men in Shunem at the time of the farming 
and God selects this woman single-handedly and blesses her. And then finally, both of them became extremely wealthy after this lockdown. And that's really my prayer for everybody on this call, is that God, who picked and single-handedly selected these people to bless them after their own season of farming, of a financial lockdown of some sort. Jacob was in it for 14 years. He worked uh, with Laban for 14 years. If you read Genesis 31, he complains bitterly to his wives, how Laban treated him treacherously and changed his wages 10 times. He could not even earn anything for, for, for his, his, his family until God stepped in into his case. So I would like to end with five things that I think I would like to share with you from this too that um, we all should be doing now as we ease out of lockdown and we begin to thrive in a post-COVID environment. The first is we should all commit our finances to God. We commit our finances to God and we make a commitment, a vow to God, similar to what Jacob did. He said to God, God, if you bless me, if you empower me, if you strengthen me in this area of finances, I commit. And what does that commitment look like? It looks like what the Shunammite woman did. It looks like supporting the work of the kingdom. Don't get too hung up on all the, you know, all the debates that we have around tithing and all of this stuff. Don't get hung up in that. You focus on God. Just simply um, uh, commit your finances to God and commit to support the work of the kingdom. You can do that through tithing. You can do that through giving. You can do that through blessing. Just support the work of the kingdom. Make that vow and fulfill that vow. Number two, ask God for a wealth creating strategy. Your own unique and bespoke strategy. Look at what God did for Jacob, how he preferentially gave them him that incredible strategy that caused him to be extremely wealthy. God knew the language Jacob understood at that time. Jacob was a shepherd. So he knew that what Jacob would understand is shepherding. So God chose to bless him through shepherding. Now you might think, oh, I'm not good. I'm only good at being, you know, I, I love organizing things. I'm good at organization. What, what can God do with that? You'll be surprised. God can lead you to start perhaps one of the most efficient events planning or, or organization um, um, a company in the whole world where you end up turning a gift like administration or organization into a money-making machine. There's nothing God cannot do. Ask him for your own unique and bespoke wealth creating strategy. And he will give you something that you can understand, something you overlook, something you ignore, something you take for granted. God, if you woke Jacob up in the middle of the night, he can 
He can describe sheep to you. He could describe sheep. He understood shepherding like nothing else. And God used that to bless him. So don't underestimate what God can use. The Shunammite woman went to the king and, um, uh, and, God, and, and God gave her that strategy to go to the king to get her land and her resources back. Number three, apply diligence and be patient. Apply diligence and be patient. Jacob waited six years. He worked for Laban 14 years for his wives and then six years for his own wealth. He took him six years to build this, this, this uh, enterprise that God had given him and to become extremely wealthy. Apply diligence and be patient. Number four, God will divinely orchestrate destiny helpers from you from the most unlikely places. Look at what happened to the Shunammite woman. Gehazi was speaking at, to the king at that moment. God raised Gehazi up. Gehazi was Elisha's servant uh, for many years. So here you have God strategically placed Gehazi with the king at that moment when she walked in. So from the most unlikely places, and that is my prayer, that God would divinely orchestrate your steps, divinely orchestrate destiny helpers, place them in strategic positions to bless you at this season, to help you develop your strategy, to help you. He will be there to he will place people in your life. He will place people ready for you in companies where you're going to for interviews, where uh, you're, you're going to discuss business contracts. He will place people in strategic places for you, orchestrate your steps, and uh, give you divine timing. Look at what happened to Jacob. He asked for, Laban said to him, name your wages. And that is my prayer for many people on this call, for everybody on this call. If you're looking to God for a change of career, a change of job, a change of position, by the time you step in and get there, the, the people on the other end of the desk will be saying, name your wages. God will give you grace. He will give you favor with interviewers, those who are interviewing you, where he will strategically place interviewers ready for you, people who you will get on with. You might end up in an interview. I've heard many stories before. The interview was supposed to last an hour. This was a job that this person never imagined they could ever, ever get. They step in into the interview. It happens to be somebody that they share a lot in common with. The entire interview was about talking about the things they both like. At the end of the interview, the guy said, I'm going to give you this job. How much do you want us to pay you? I have heard incredible testimony. The interview was not technical at all. It was just getting to know each other. And here you are, the interviewer saying, I'm going to give you the job, name your wages. So that is my prayer for those of you who are trusting God for a new job or to change careers. And finally, number five, trust God to exceed your financial expectations and to bless you beyond measure. My prayer for you is God will be partially kind to you. The same way we know scripture says he is not, he, he, there's no partiality in him. There's no favoritism in him. 
but we see many cases of people who have received preferential treatment from God. Jacob and the Shunammite woman, we've looked at them this morning. My prayer is that God will be partially kind to you. In this season, as you begin to thrive post-COVID, he will show you preferential kindness. He will show you partial kindness the same way he has done for Jacob and the Shunammite woman. And God will enforce your compensation and your restoration. Key into his, his restoration plan. The Shunammite woman keyed into the, his plan. She, she understood uh, uh, the plan of God and she keyed into it because the Bible says she obeyed the man of God. The man of God gave her instruction, go to Philistine for seven years. And she did. And she came back. She keyed into God's restoration plan. She was supporting the work of the kingdom before she went into, into the uh, land of the Philistine. She came back and God blessed her. Not only did God bless her, God added also to her um, uh, blessing by making sure she got compensation for the income she would have received if she had stayed in the land. And that is because I strongly believe she supported the work of the kingdom in Shunem at that time. Now, if you are sowing into a country, the work of the kingdom in this nation, when restoration is time for you to be restored, when your season of restoration comes, God will make sure that the land coughs up your compensation. Let me say that again. If you key into the work of the kingdom in a nation or in a land, when the season of restoration comes, God will make sure that that land yield its fruit for you, yield compensation for you, the same way Shunem coughed up that woman's uh, property, Shunem coughed up that woman's restoration and everything she had lost. Okay, that takes me to the end um, uh, session of question and answer. Is that correct, Tineke? That is correct. However, I haven't got any questions because you have delivered it so perfectly. No one has anything to ask you. But I did want to pull up a few things that you said just at the end here. So I, I loved number two, where you said, ask God for your wealth creating strategy, your own bespoke plan. Because I think one of the things that we do a lot is we like things to be bespoke. We want something that's different, that's just for us, but it's not something that we've necessarily thought about in terms of our own personal wealth creation plan. So I love that um, thing that you said. And the other thing that stood out to me hugely was of the five points that you said, four of them required us to do something. So the first one was commit your finances, ask God for your wealth creating plan, apply diligence and be patient. Then the fifth one was trust God to exceed your financial. The only one there that you referred to what God would do. I mean, we know God will do stuff, but the only one that you specifically said was God will divinely orchestrate destiny helpers. So I thought that was something that I just, you know, I noted and I'm like, okay, Tino, okay, there's stuff that you have to do yourself for God to do um, stuff, which I think we know anyway. But thank you very much, Toye. Thank you very much. That was very insightful. Thank you so much indeed. 